0: I want to tell you about a new sponsor here on the program. It's our first sponsor in a while, but in this time of economic uncertainty, this is a great, great business for all of you to partner with. It's Dashing Media Management. New ways of talking to customers are being created left and right, and you need an expert to help guide you through that process. That's where my friend Lex Kramer and Dashing Media Management come in. They're able to help you with social media, blog management, content marketing, graphics, and pretty much all of your marketing needs. They're a one-stop shop. They feature flat rate pricing, transparent reporting, and Lex is just a great person to work with, a good friend of mine, and I hope that you'll support her. So I hope you'll reach out to Lex today at their website, dashingmediamanagement.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at Libertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. Thanks for joining us today. It is going to be a fun conversation with somebody that I really enjoy uh, following on Twitter, and I'm sure you will as well. Look in the show notes for his handle. His name is Connor Dragotis. He is the director of communications of a national law firm and a contributor to Matt Kibbe's Free the People. And he uh, recently just published something on our blog at wearelibertarians.com called Necessary Steps to Prep for Recession, of which I think we all agree that we're in, and uh, he wrote an article that caught my eye called COVID-19 Proves That Small Government Is Better, and this has been something that I've said from the beginning. Uh, Everybody seems to be focusing on the epidemiological math and arguing over that, but this is such a ripe example of how the government doesn't work. So, uh, Connor, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: You, you touch on the, in this article that we're, we're going to discuss, and we'll also talk a little bit about Justin Amash, because you've got an article in the Washington Examiner about that that I want to disagree with you on, um, which we'll debate later on. But, uh, you know, from the very beginning, uh, I think libertarians focus on the thing that directly touches them, which is the shutdown, which is the, the, the loss of liberty and government telling businesses that they can't shut down. And that makes perfect sense but uh, there seems to be a rich amount of failure for us to point out that we're kind of missing mm-hmm. throughout all of this. What are some things that you've seen that have leapt out to you through this shutdown?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, to be honest, for me, this this starts right at home. Uh, my wife is an emergency room nurse, uh, so she's on the front lines of this crisis. And uh, to be honest, when this whole thing got started we started looking at you know how can she help the most amount of people and the first thought was hey telemedicine or uh you know does she need to be somewhere else where she can do the most good and uh she could be helping people anywhere in the world but right now there are artificial lines drawn in the sand uh so she can't work across state lines and um really it's just helping qualified or rather hurting qualified people when they're trying to do the most good. I mean, we shouldn't be doing things that are going to prevent people from getting medical care. Uh, we need to put people first and honestly get rid of these bad laws permanently.
0: So talk a little bit more about the telemedicine. Where, where does this idea come from? So if I'm in Indiana and you're in, let's say, Ohio or Pennsylvania,
1: what, what would it look like if you took down those state by state regulations? yeah so getting rid of the barriers to you know hop on a video call with someone right it's an hd right it's 2020 we have the technology uh one of the things that happens during a pandemic uh it is, as a lot of nurses and medical professionals will tell you uh and as you're probably seeing is people start to panic people actually worry oh my gosh hey i got a tickle in my throat i might have the coronavirus and as a result the first thing that they would likely do is go to the hospital get tested uh, and that's one of the things when our our healthcare system gets overwhelmed um, a lot of these symptoms, it would be very easy for a nurse to get on a video call and say, actually, hey, you know what, you just have a tickle in your throat, nothing to worry about. This isn't the COVID uh, pandemic. It's not come to your house. Uh, take a breath, step back, and, and reevaluate. It it's really goes hand in hand with making sure that our hospitals can do their jobs while off, also offering the best services possible to the people that are justifiably worried about their own health and safety. So I used
0: a telehealth uh, system here in Indiana because I was wondering, you know, is this a sore throat? Is this allergies or is Mm -hmm. this COVID? And I called in and FaceTimed with a nurse and they didn't give me a diagnosis because they were a nurse. But, um, you know, I, I left that call thinking, wow, the hospital network. IU Health had to sit here and figure out how to design an app, had to get all that infrastructure in place. So something like you're talking about would mean maybe like a tech company, let's say Amazon, Google, one of those big companies wanted to invest some tech infrastructure, the people who are good at tech, it's probably easier for them to design the tech and hire nurses and doctors or partner with health systems to provide a national overarching system than it
1: is for a hospital system. To create their own tech department, for sure. I think we are far enough down the road in technology where you know a lot of these systems do exist, and that's you know I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I like to see the silver linings in things, and one of the best things about this whole thing is you know systems exist. The problem is that if if your local hospital or a hospital in your state in your network doesn't offer these services, uh, you could be prevented from getting the same quality of service just because of an arbitrary state line, uh, which is which is absolutely a problem. States have different needs. And and when state governments and the federal government put up artificial walls to getting service, it's only going to hurt people and it's going to make a pandemic uh, or any emergency situation much worse. So testing,
0: I think, is the and this is, to me, the best argument that libertarians can make is that, if you go and read The Lost Month by The New York Times, you clearly see how the CDC and the FDA failed in testing. They, they created one point of success and one point of failure, and they failed instead of broadening testing and allowing other people to uh, get involved in this. What, what are some things that have stuck out to you in maybe other countries or here in America where testing has
1: been done a lot better than in the United States? Yeah. I mean, geez, I mean, from insider trading or massive spending or slow response. I mean, the government definitely hasn't been doing much to inspire faith. Um, but can you, you know, name, can on you name one? Scale. Because I can't. <laughs> <You're good. laughs> well, yeah. So the positive examples, though, I mean, what we've seen in places like the Faroe Islands, right? Um, places where uh, local in, in the Faroe Islands, a veterinary clinic was repurposed to do testing. Um, free from government intervention, and that that facility could perform a thousand tests a day if needed. Um, South Korea uh, flattened the curve by acting quickly to expand testing and being nimble. You know, and where the United States government really just put in a very cumbersome lockdown and didn't think through the steps of how people would react and what people actually need. Um, the point that I'm driving at in this article is, local governments are inherently going to be better at providing services. Because I think you and I both know if I needed to call up someone locally who's an official to make a decision and make th- make sure that things are running smoothly, I can get a hold of them. The chances of me getting a hold of someone uh, at the federal level who's going to be able to help me. Uh, I mean, you know, right? It's tax season still uh, because the thing, the way things have been pushed back. I don't want to be stuck in a line uh, trying to talk to the IRS to get a problem oh, resolved. It's, it's not going to go well.
0: April 29th, and Donald Trump has not sent me the $1,200 I was owed, uh, yeah. of, of which I like to point out on Twitter to him. Instead of tweeting, get busy unpaying me. Uh, right. tra- treat the IRS like they treat you, Connor. Um, yeah, and this is something – and that's a great example. I know – state senator mike speedy personally i have met my congressman andre carson i know of my senators i've never met them you know there's no chance you'll ever get in touch with the president but the president is the one making so many of these decisions because we've centralized the government so much and you see this there was a great article by reason and along the lines of like if Montana were the hot zone instead of New York City do you think that we would have closed down every single location in the country except for South Dakota like and and so we tend to think once you centralize power you centralize government they start to think like the people within that city and that everybody should do the exact same thing there never should have been a nationwide shutdown Uh, I mean hindsight obviously is a a great tool when you're examining things Um, (laughs) but when you look at this you go yeah I mean in hindsight it was stupid to shut down Montana and Wyoming when just New York city apparently has a problem as of April 29th, who knows what happens, right. you know, but uh, this one size fits all government that was rolled out by the CDC and Trump is really, it really hurt unnecessarily a lot of businesses in the
1: middle of the country. Well, I want to point out too. you know, I mentioned I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of person there. There are some good things happening, Right. Uh, In in my home state of Maine, uh, for example, the governor said, hey, we're going to drop some of these restrictions so out of state nurses can get approved within 24 hours to do telemedicine or to even move here and start taking care of patients. And I think that that's it's amazing to see. And what the result will be, hopefully, is people realizing that if we can get rid of a regulation during this pandemic, it probably wasn't necessary to begin with let's get rid of it and just allow people to do their jobs and provide the best services that clearly, clearly people need. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about special economic zones? Because I had never heard of this, but it sounds like it's within what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's another measure of local control and and small government governance. Um, What you see across the world, this isn't something just in the United States, but special economic zones, are areas that have different operating rules uh, than the rest of the territory around them. This could be uh, lower taxes or decreased bureaucracy. Basically, it's just intended to give businesses more flexibility with things like investment and trade. So, in my backyard here, I live in Pennsylvania, uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We have a special economic zone where all the businesses have decreased tax rates for a huge amount of time. What that allows businesses to do is, you know, during a pandemic, instead of laying people off. They've been able to build up more cash reserves. They're, they're able to be more nimble because they don't have a huge bureaucracy to fight through. Um, basically, special economic zones are a great model for how we should be running much more of the country. Let people be specialists in what they do, running their business, and trust that they're going to do the right thing. Uh, and by and large, through history, this model has worked. That's great.
0: Yeah, you see the, the, inv- the job... The unemployment numbers just dropped precipitously Mm -hmm. to low records once you gave back capital gain, you know, once you cut the tax rate for corporations. I mean, then all of a sudden they started investing more. They started buying more. They started employing more people. So it makes sense that local areas could have these special exemptions during some of these times.
1: That's a great idea you know, we are in a health crisis. You know, I, I say that confidently, um, you know, having seen what my wife goes through and, and how she looks and how she talks about when she comes back from the hospital, she is working hard days. We, yes, we have a health crisis, but that doesn't necessitate that we have to have an economic crisis. Uh, you know, those those two, for some reason, have been tied so closely together and teasing those apart to make sure that we're doing what's right to make sure that we're still stable in the long term it's absolutely essential if we want to be successful as a country and not fall further down um into into a recession which could hurt us that much more it's nice to
0: hear you're not a drama queen pretending that this is all <laughs> is fake I, i've
1: been fairly disappointed by
0: a lot of libertarians lately who want to i don't I, you don't need to goose consumer confidence by pretending that there there isn't a pandemic but i argue that the the blanket shutdown the government shutdown there, there would have been voluntary shutdowns. You look at what happened here in Indiana, up in Tipton, you had a company with 2,000 employees, 1,500 of them have tested positive. Uh, one has passed away. There's, you know, we're we're watching over the next couple of weeks to ho- hopefully see it doesn't get worse. Um, you see a lot of these essential businesses in the food supply chain starting to shut down. And that would have happened. It, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, illness, people being too sick to work combined with insurance and just responsible business owners going, we need to shut down our business. But that pork plant up in Indiana is going to be shut down for two weeks, not two months. And then you add on like, why is a florist or a tailor shop not essential And a liquor store is because epidemiologically, Mm -hmm. if you've got people in a liquor store and people in a florist, and it's the same amount of people, there's, there's really like no reason for them to be shut down other than the liquor like they have a better lobbyist, right? So it's this unfair application. And so I mean, I wonder, you know, here, that's my theory is that, yes, you would have had shutdowns, you would have had people, you would have had work stoppages, you would have unemployment, but that time to shutting down and the time to reopening, it would be a lot quicker and a lot more patchy than this one-size-fits-all, ham-fisted approach that we've taken.
1: Yep. And I think what a lot of people are are really begging for right now is clarity from governance. I mean the lesson here is simple, and, and I'm aware I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but governments should be serving the needs of the people, not the other way around. Putting people's people first doesn't just mean, hey, we're going to lock you in your house. Spoiler alert: yes, maybe you know the number of murders goes down when you can't when you're when you're locked in a cell, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for people in the long term, right? Um, it, it seems. Really straightforward, but I just I want to see more governments uh, at the federal, fe- certainly at the federal level, but also at the state level, really start to take a better approach to this and start sharing more information with the people who are going to be making these decisions, which are business owners and employees and and people doing what's best for their friends, their family, and for their neighbors. Yeah,
0: the, here in Indiana, we had a protest and five hundred people showed up to the governor's mm-hmm. lawn. And none of them were socially distancing and they were on the governor's lawn. And, and I made the point at the time, if this is truly a pandemic emergency and you're you're trying to enforce these things as a matter of public safety, why would you let that happen on your lawn and not do anything about it? Start right. arresting people. And so right. I, I find that the emperor's clo- the, the emperor has no clothes in a lot of this. And what are some examples where you are just seeing people go maybe this government thing is responsive to the people it's not the tyrannical dictatorship that we all thought and it's actually a toothless tiger
1: yeah i mean it i guess it, there's really two sides to it right because uh, at the same time though there are some people stepping back and maybe not being as harsh as some think that they should be on the other side we're seeing constitutionally protected liberties falling one after the other and it's happening with bipartisan support i mean we've seen the slow erosion of liberty for a very long time, especially at the federal level. Uh, but it seems to be happening very, very quickly right now. I mean, it's the old rules for radicals principle, right? Uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, so it's it's worth keeping an eye on on both sides. Uh, at the end of the day, even if every single um, measure was lifted, these quarantine measures were lifted, uh, you know, you could still stay at home. Uh, that's a choice. And and at the end of the day, I think liberty uh, is, is worth preserving and worth fighting for and making sure that um, you have the ability to make choices for yourself, even if in the long run, they turn out to, to not play out the way you thought they did. I think that's
0: just key. Like the government intervention, in my mind, has spurred on a lot of these conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. You know, it what it does is it makes people go, well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do the opposite of what you want. And so if your goal was to get people to stay home, I, I all I see are half measures. Like there's, you know, you drive around and the stores are full. You've shoved people into the single store. And instead of it being, you know, a, a true shutdown in Spain, it's like 87 days before you could leave your house. And if you left your house for anything other than groceries, there's a cop there, uh, Right. you know? So this half measure Because of a lack of political will, like you, I just feel like they, they told us one thing, but they didn't have the political will to do what they actually meant, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I just look at it and go, I hope people kind of see that. I hope that they see that there really probably wasn't an effect of the shutdown, because people were so freely moving, which is good. And at the end of the day, it proves our point, which is that because people were freely moving around, they made more responsible choices.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's voluntary. And and that's one of the things about blanket solutions is you're always going to have people who fall through the cracks. And if you want to have a government that uh, you know respects people's rights, I- inherent in that is they need to treat people equally. One of the great things about local control is it, the solutions can be nimble, they can be tailored. Um, you know, our best bet at finding solutions is when we get rid of these unnecessary restrictive burdens and we free people up to innovate. Um, uh, let's make all of America a special economic zone, free from excessive regulation. Let's remove barriers to nurses and doctors treating patients. And uh, the bureaucracy is just going to slow things down. And that's not what I want to say. Yeah, and you've pointed out Texas
0: and Maine Pulling some of these restrictions, removing occupational licensing. I mean, how mm-hmm. much of that stuff will stick and and not be re-implemented?
1: I think that it's going to be a mixed bag. Uh, luckily, it'll be on a state by state basis, and I say luckily because uh, you're more likely to be able to have a real impact on the state level. Um, and I guess that's that's one thing I want to make sure that I hit on here too is is what is the role of someone who cares about liberty during a pandemic? Uh, and I, I just, I guess I'd want to remind your listenership that elected officials serve at your pleasure. Mm-hmm. They're entirely replaceable. And they're also human beings who are susceptible to public pressure, rallies, letters, tweets, Facebook posts, right? We live in a age where you can tweet at the president of the United States, and there's a chance he might tweet back. Uh, so use that to your advantage and make sure your voice is is heard because you can make a difference.
0: It's so true. I mean, government's We saw it here. You saw local businesses start to shut down, saw the NBA start to shut down, and the local politicians saw that there was political, it was, they had the ability to shut down because everybody else started to shut down. They're only now Mm -hmm. talking about reopening because the public wants to reopen. They're really kind of scared spineless little weenies, aren't they?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's people, they're, they're human beings. And when human beings start to get social pressure, right, that's how we react. We read a crowd and we adapt uh, to make sure that that we're doing what we can within the confines of of being human. So I think that not putting these people up on a pedestal so much as recognizing that, you know, the same types of conversations you'd have with your neighbors or your friends that are impactful when talking about liberty, those same things would work with elected officials if you take the time to get in front of them.
0: So let's switch gears and talk about Justin Amash. I have not read your most recent op-ed. I think it's been up for 20, 30 minutes. Uh, But uh, obviously, Justin Amash is somebody that I've followed for a long time. I think he's been in Congress for almost 10 years. He is... He is a firm libertarian. I don't care what anybody says. If you followed his career with any kind of regularity, like I have, the man understands libertarian principles. And for those worried that oh, it's another milk toast Republican redo, that is certainly not the case with Justin Amash. Um, I am personally very excited that he's running. Uh, so I, I wonder if. You know, I I was really hoping he would have announced sooner to run for president as a Libertarian Party person, but from what you were telling me off air, you're not necessarily enthused that he's running for president. Can you tell us more why?
1: Yeah, uh, so the the op-ed that I had published in the Washington Examiner is titled "Justin Amash's Presidential Run Doesn't Make Sense," uh, and the reason for that is because of all of the wonderful things that you just mentioned about Justin Amash, right? He's a principled guy. He's been around. He understands how the system works. Um, And as a result of that, his voice is so important in Congress. Uh, I've, I've said for a long time that the Libertarian Party right now simply doesn't have the infrastructure to support someone on the national scale running for the office of the president of the United States. And at the end of the day, it's going to be a real disappointment uh, if and when Justin Amash is not an elected congressman and he's not elected as president of the United States. We're going to miss a very, very important voice for liberty in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I, I just hate to see that happen. But wasn't
0: his fate – I mean his fate was sort of sealed already, and here's where I'd push back on you because it looked by all accounts that he was probably not going to win re-election as a Republican. He mm-hmm. switched to being an independent. The numbers didn't necessarily look good. Why not take the opportunity to run as a libertarian, presuming he gets the nomination, uh, which is not guaranteed, um, the, the libertarian party presidential candidate is the de facto main marketing person for all of libertarianism for the yeah. next four years. It's an incredibly important position within the libertarian movement, which is why so many people really do care about who is running as president. Who better at this point? I, I have all the respect in the world for Jacob Hornberger and judge gray. And I do get the vermin Supreme thing. I understand what he's trying to do. Although I don't think my friends and family would, um, Uh, But Justin Amash is principled as well as experienced in putting the message out. He is somebody that when you're when your friends and family take a look at him, he will not embarrass you. He is uh, very well spoken and can articulate the principles in a fantastic way. Why not put that person up as the president? Why? What do you say to that?
1: Yeah. First of all, I agree with everything you just said about the type of person he is and what makes him wonderful. Uh, And I also agree that uh, him joining forces with the LP is the best possible way to help the Libertarian Party grow, which I love and I agree with. Uh, I think it just remains to be seen whether or not this is a wise move for Amash himself. So uh, really, I guess in this uh, opinion piece, I'm pointing out um, that the way that this could possibly negatively impact Amash himself right uh, and that he could be sitting there without a job at the end of this um, But you're absolutely right. He may have been sitting there without a job no matter what uh, and at that point Why not go all in? Um, I, I guess I th- I think I, I tend to be a solution oriented person um, And I had the chance to talk with Brad Parscale, uh, Donald Trump's campaign manager uh, at CPAC actually back in 2019 and uh, it was 614 days uh, until, until the election. And Brad actually told me that he had one volunteer for every 13 people that the campaign, campaign needed to reach. And that's compared to the Libertarian Party, which won't even make a formal decision about their nominee until May 25th. Um, uh, my hope is that in a mosh running, we're going to see a, a great wake up call In the structural setup of the LP, to take a real look about hey, if we have an amazing person like Justin Amash who's going to go out there and run for president, how can we better support him? What can we do in our setup to make sure that this is actually a viable candidate, not just someone that we're putting up there to be a sacrificial lamb uh, and potentially, you know, mark the end of his career? I have long
0: withheld my reservations about the LP until about this year. I come from the LP. I worked for the LP for four years. Mm-hmm. I was a diehard Libertarian Party person for 10 years. Still very identified with it here uh, locally by other politicos. I have to be honest with you, the the especially the Mises caucus crowd, which is bizarre to me because justin amash when he was elected to congress was widely identified with campaign for liberty and the young americans for liberty crowd and ron paul mm-hmm. and many including myself felt that he was the evolution of ron paul and many of the mises caucus crowd in the libertarian party is supporting uh, jacob hornberger who i i have no disagreement with i just don't think that he would be as impactful on the national scene um, I, I view it as they're going and you don't have to respond to this. This is just my opinion, not Connors. They're going to do everything they can to tear Amash down to promote their candidate instead of building up their candidate and saying why this is the best person. They're going to do everything they can to say, oh, this is the redo of Gary Johnson, which is frankly a moronic point of view because Gary Johnson got 3%, which created ballot access for states that had never had it before. And Mm -hmm. Amash, I think, gives the best ability because you and I both know that the media is desperately biased against Donald Trump. And Justin Amash coming out for impeachment made him the darling of the Washington scene. Rick Wilson, who was a McCainite, came out and was promoting him then, saying we need to support this guy who is running Uh, as a a, an independent in Congress. And then today, Rick Wilson said Justin Amash should not be running for president. So that guy has no principles. Um, But, you know, because he was anti-Trump about around impeachment, he's going to be on the Sunday shows this weekend. And that's Mm going to be a continuous stream, just like with Gary Johnson in 2016. Gary Johnson did like 10, 20 interviews a week. You know, he had done 10 or 20 interviews all of 2012. And Amash is going to get that. Whereas Jacob Hornberger had six people on a Periscope last night for his Ask Me Anything. So, yes. yeah, so there's there's just no doubt in my mind that Amash gives the libertarian movement, the libertarian perspective, the libertarian party, the best opportunity to kind of reach beyond its own echo chamber. I have to disagree with you that I think that it will do anything to help grow the libertarian party. I think that it it is structurally so beat down because of bad ballot access laws that that party by and large is not functioning and probably will not function. And I have to say, as a dig on Namash, none of his people have reached out to Libertarian party people, except maybe Sarwark. I have not confirmed that, but everybody I talked to that was in the LP involved in trying to draft him to run in the LP as of this morning, none of those people have been contacted. So, I I have a hard time believing that it I I appreciate your your view but I just tend to look at this and go he's probably using the ballot access which I'm fine with you know what I mean like because he's the best he's the best libertarian running and it's about the libertarian message it's not about the libertarian party and the people who say it's about the party and he should have run sooner and it's disrespectful to these other candidates Like you're going to be the same people telling Republicans and Democrats to vote principle, not party later on. So, I mean, that's just sort of how I view it. I mean, I don't know if there's anything you want to or should respond to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I guess the only thing I'd say is I think that's one of the things that I love most about interacting and, and working with people who genuinely care about liberty is we're all working for the same thing. We want what's best in terms of liberty for for everyone. And, uh, you know, it's a big tent. We're going to be out there going. I mean, you know, Amash has my vote. He has a nomination. Absolutely. Uh, he he will uh, receive my vote um, and I will do everything in my power to help him uh, to help him achieve, you know, the presidency. Um, I, I I'm, I'm not sure I have a response about how the Mises caucus is going to handle this, but it's my hope that. Uh, At the end of the day, sure, they'll go out there, they'll fight for their candidate. But uh, when uh, who I believe to be the better man wins, and that is Justin Amash, that they will throw their support and and do everything they can to help a liberty candidate get as far as possible and advance libertarian principles as far as they can possibly go.
0: Should... Jacob Hornberger, Vermin Supreme, Judge Gray, should one of those folks win the nomination? Would that inspire the same level of activism in you?
1: No, no, it, it wouldn't. Um, and that's uh, a huge credit to Justin Amash, right? Um, uh, quite frankly, there's only so many hours in the day. And, and I want to make sure that efforts are being put forward to uh, efforts that are worthwhile. I believe Justin Amash and his candidacy would be worthwhile Um, I, even as a, as a libertarian who, you know, I love to say I work full time for liberty. That's what I do. Um, and, and these are candidates who I've barely heard anything from. There's a reason why there's six people on a Periscope stream, uh, is because it's not the right guy for the job. Would you vote for one of those people? Most likely. Uh, you know, I don't think I could commit to that right now just because I quite frankly haven't dug in deep enough to have a full understanding of what they're doing, but I wouldn't dismiss them out of hand on some sort of Amash uh uh gung-ho principle. Uh I mean libertarianism, as I said, you know, it's a big tent. It's it's full of a lot of great people who who want to move the ball forward on liberty. And I'd certainly entertain it. I'd hope that they would do a better job getting out there, talking to people and uh hopefully sinking significant resources, uh, both time and financial resources. Uh, To spread that message, first of all, to the (laughs) to the 15,000 people who are dues paying uh, members of the Libertarian Party, but uh, well beyond that to people who uh, actually uh, need to hear this message, who are disillusioned with what the major parties are doing.
0: All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, I'm going to give you the final word. I'm going to anything that we've covered, or you're like, man, I should have said this. The, feel free, <laughs> or and as well as shameless self-promotion. How can people follow you? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll just leave it again on a, on an upbeat note. Uh, this pandemic is going to pass at some point, and uh, on the other side, uh, we're all going to be looking back and, and wondering, hey, what did we do with all the time that we had? Well, life felt like it was on pause. Uh, see if you could do something to advance liberty and uh, it'll pay pay dividends in the long term. Uh, if you're interested in more of my work, uh, you can find me at ConnorDragotis.com or at CD Dragotis, uh on social media everywhere.
0: All right, and we'll be sure to put those in the show notes in case you can't spell Connor or Dragotis. Uh, so you can just go and click that or visit our website for the show notes there. Connor, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me. And thank you to everybody that listened. We appreciate your time. And please share the program. That really helps us grow. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. And you can find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. Shows like We Are Libertarians with Chris Spangle, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Now Hear This with Chris Spangle, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, and our training podcast, Upward Libertarian Activism. All of these shows are supported by our patrons. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, visit WeAreLibertarians.com. Thank you so much for listening to this show.